Hello and welcome to the Source One podcast. Consider us your source for the latest procurement, supply management, and strategic sourcing insights. Anytime, anywhere. Um, good morning. My name is Nassim Malik, uh, Managing Partner, MRA Global. We are an executive search firm that focuses on sourcing, supply management, procurement, human capital, uh, executive search, and consulting. We had an opportunity to contribute to a procurement transformation white paper being led by our friends at Source One. And the topics uh, we were uh, delving into related to talent, specifically on how procurement's approach when it comes to transformation and the crucial role that talent plays in that regard. We read a lot about the talent gap in procurement. Uh, You've written quite a lot about it yourself. When people say talent gap, what are they really talking about? Is it that there aren't enough young professionals entering procurement, or would you say it's more a question of the right skill sets not being there? Yeah, I think it's more in terms of uh, the skill set and the available talent as well. So when you look at the amount of new talent emerging within the field, that's actually been, we're finding, fairly steady. Um, now, there is a lot of competition when you look at the tech sector. Uh, they've been doing a lot of talent from all functions, whether it's procurement, finance, consulting, iBanking, you know, all of those different areas. But specifically, our experience out in the marketplace when we're talking to our clients and talking to candidates, it's more around the quantitative skills, the analytical skills that they're looking for. And then on the subjective side, making sure that the talent has the ability to influence, to collaborate with the key stakeholders. So that's on the skill side. And then in terms of talent, the availability. Because of the uh, historic nature of the market that we're in, the full employment market that we're in, you know, the numbers that we hear out there, it's a lot lower when it comes to procurement, right? Especially the white-collar procurement jobs, it's probably less than 2% unemployment. So to be able to find those A players is uh, is the uphill battle. And what else would you say is contributing to the talent gap? Are there a lot of procurement veterans retiring? Is that leaving some organizations with that gap? So there has been, uh, over the past several years, a pretty steady retirement as you look at the baby boomer generation. It's affecting uh, supply management uh, just as much. Companies are struggling to make sure they're keeping a repository for that knowledge to be able to share that. But beyond that, it, when you look at the talent gaps, finding, it's not just as we talked about finding, but then retaining them as well too. So there's more of a, what you would call a churn in terms of, you know, you find the folks, but then ensuring that they can stay longer than for a year or two. So that is actually contributing to a gap. It may sound like more of a, a transient gap, but it's still very much a challenge that as companies are able to bring people in, invest in them, and suddenly they see that, okay, the lead times are shortening, so the gap continues to persist for them. And just how wide would you say the talent gap is? I mean, how many companies is this affecting? Are you an outlier if you think your company is totally secure when it comes to talent? Definitely. Anybody that thinks that they are immune to what's happening in the marketplace or immune to the challenges of uh, attracting and retaining or feeling that, yeah, we're, we're good, we're set, we've got a good bench, they would uh, definitely be uh, an anomaly. You know, the message uh, we get uh, from the marketplace is more and more that, you know, we, we need to find ways to be, uh, creatively hang on, not just to our talent, but then also to creatively making sure that we're keeping their skill sets uh, sharp. We're providing them opportunities, whether it's training, whether it's rotational assignments, whether it's ability to work with other internal stakeholders across functions. Any one of these things to be able to hang on to uh, top talent is what uh, is what companies are 
you know, getting creative about. So. And but what are some more of those things that they're doing? How do companies typically go about transforming their approach to procurement talent? So when we think about German tuition right now, it's actually pretty uh, pretty interesting. And for some uh, some companies, it can be frustrating as well too because. There's a interesting dynamic at play, right? So there are a lot of qualified, tech-savvy, and collaborative candidates out there. But you know, what a lot of companies are looking for is a, what you call that appropriate mix. When you look at hard skills and soft skills, and those are the ones that are, you know, we're looking at now a new mold when we think about professionals, right? It's also now imperative that this talent that we're looking at have the soft skills as well, too, right? So whether it's we talked about, right, the uh, the leadership skills, the negotiation skills the ability to work with both internal and external stakeholders. That's an area that we're finding is key when they're looking at transforming. Because a lot of times when these leaders are coming in, they're looking at you know not just doing a assessment of what the current skills are, but then also looking at right, where areas that we need to upgrade. Right? Are there areas that we can bring in people from within the company? And if it's external, right, where do we go? What are some leading places where we know that we can plug in some of the talent? So, so you've written in Spend Matters that the real behemoths of the business world, Google, Facebook, et cetera, are, uh, are, are increasingly taking an aggressive approach to pursuing talent. Obviously, most like mid- and small-sized companies can't copy exactly what these organizations are doing, but uh, what best practices can we learn from the way your Googles or your Facebooks go about attracting talent? So what, uh, what's interesting in this regard is, is that, yeah, there's some industries that are directly impacted, of course, when you look at these, you know, these big four appealing companies and a bunch of other ones like there, but the companies that are losing talent, and they've had to take um, a much more of a, a nuanced approach, okay, what do we do now to, to backfill and to retain, whereas other companies that are competing in the marketplace for that same kind of talent are also up against the same challenges there. So a lot of times what we recommend to our clients is, you know, it starts from the leader as well, right? What is the leader's brand? It could be the VP, CPO, or it could just be the hiring manager that's looking to hire certain roles or to build out uh, his or her team. So what is their track record? What have they accomplished? Where did they come from? If they have a compelling story, a compelling track record of what they've accomplished in their career, and they bring that uh, to their new company, that definitely helps attracting some good talent as well, too. So we're, we're always making sure that uh, we're telling our clients that, you know, when we're bringing in folks and you're bringing in leaders, uh, that, that's a key role in making sure that start off on the right foot in, in how you're bringing talent, how you're, uh, how you're then once they're on board, what are you doing to, to keep them engaged? Mm-hmm. Um, not just retention here, but the engagement part, which is just as important. The little things, right? The reputation is intact. Uh, making sure on social media there isn't any negativity about the company. If anything, it should be positive. Those are some of the things that we're we're trying to help them. And you know, this this goes hand in hand as you look at um, you know making sure the career paths are there, making sure the trainings are there. You know, that, those are all given that uh, they need to do. Um, but beyond that, there's a lot of other uh, things they can do to help help attract and hang on to their people. Mm-hmm. And is there such a thing as too aggressive an approach? There is actually, we find there are some companies that want to move really fast. And, you know, that's something which we support. I think uh, inertia and uh, taking too long uh, from a overall process is uh, what dooms uh, candidacy or dooms the ability to find good people quickly. So while we like clients that move uh, quickly and we recommend that they do, uh, when it comes to the courting uh, process, they should still be, be cognizant of the fact that if they are going to be overly aggressive, that could be a turnoff as well. 
as an example, right, there's some clients that say, oh, yeah, we'll just get somebody on site, and if we like them, you know, we'll make them an offer, you know, within later that day or within the next day. Now, sometimes that is a bit off-putting uh, because a lot of the candidates that are, you know, these A players that they're seeking are passive candidates. So these candidates are, are sold that this is a career-advancing opportunity. This is something that will benefit them. They have the skill set that the client is looking for. So it's a process in which you know, we're getting their interest uh, peaked for this, uh, for this opportunity. So if they come in and aggressively say, yeah, after you know, the one and done, yeah, we're ready to make an offer, that actually could be a bit of a red flag for candidates saying, well, why do they need somebody that quickly? Are they just looking to put some bodies in place? Uh, are they truly getting to know me? Or how well do I know them, right? So they don't want to be at that stage in one meeting or even two meetings. So a lot of times even candidates will now say, yeah, we want to, we actually want to come on site. We want to have a couple of calls before we come on site, and then we want uh, we want to follow up and perhaps talk to some other people after the on site. So there's a way to kind of compress that, but uh, to make it any less than you know at least two or three touch points. Would uh, probably be considered too aggressive from a from a candidate perspective. Mm-hmm. And I want to return to the idea of procurement's brand. It sounds like that's important for getting talent on board and making sure they stick around. What are candidates looking for in the brand of their procurement department? They would like to know that the company, first and foremost, um, has a good brand, has a good reputation within the organization that they're going, right? And there's a couple of different ways that they will probably discern that. Uh, the leader, right, the CPO, does he or she have a seat at the table at the executive level, right? So obviously there's a pecking order when you, when you think about the C-suite and you think about the leadership in the company, but is the CPO or VP at least at a high enough level where they warrant the attention of either the business unit president or the CEO directly? And if so, uh, how are they regarded, right? What kind of tools do they have? What kind of resources will they be given? And how are they held accountable? Um, that's at the leadership level. And then they'll want to know what is the brand like with stakeholders, right? So if this is a transformation that had to be done starting from ground zero, then okay, you know, they're investing in the company. The company's investing in the function. They believe in it. They're bringing in leaders. They're bringing in the right people. Um, and you know they're ready to ready to make this a success. Or is it that you know they're cleaning up house and they're bringing in a brand new team because it didn't work out last time? Well, why didn't it work out? It was procurement perceived as being a bottleneck, was being a tactical uh, function, not really supporting the businesses? And how will they change it now? What will they do different? So these are the kind of things that they want to make sure uh, they're understanding. And then we talked a little bit about the leader as well, right? The leader's brand that's actually very important as well too. And then you know what also helps is to see how active they are in their own uh, function, right? So whether do they go to the ISM conferences, have they been recognized for something, or procurement leaders, or, or some of the other places out there? Are there any kind of awards that they've received? You know, have they gotten some good press coverage on something that they've done, or are they leading the way on technology implementation or leading the way on you know SRM, whatever the case may be? So these are all the kind of things that we can try to highlight to candidates as they're looking to assess the brand of the company as well, where they're going in and whether this is the kind of place that will help them not just contribute successfully to where they're going, but actually help the candidate uh, from their skill set and their own personal brand as well. And, and would you say that that's something that 
is lacking within a lot of organizations, that strong, impactful brand for procurement? I think it's uh, the awareness is beginning to increase now. I think in the past, it was much more of an afterthought that uh, we have to worry about our brand. But now, as uh, more and more uh, professionals are not just um, coming into the field, coming into the function, but companies are growing, businesses are growing, and they they need a whole spectrum, a wide spectrum of talent coming into even even procurement. Right? You need analytical types, you need negotiating types, you need um, technical types, you need um, you know experts in risk management, you need experts on um, the big data side. So as you're bringing in and growing your team, um, there's much more uh, there's much more of an interest now to see okay. You know, what kind of an organization is this? Um, are they still using Excel spreadsheets for their RFPs, or do they have some kind of a platform that's going to make their life easy for them? Are these leaders just paying lip service, or are they actually out there investing in their team members, investing in uh, communications uh, internally within their function, and helping evangelize the function across the organization as well? Right. So these little things that are going to incrementally enhance visibility and the brand of the function are the things that are important and more and more companies are beginning to focus on because that's something they're finding is a good selling point as you're looking to uh, bring on talent. So. so my last question, a lot of the discussions surrounding the talent cap, a lot of the blogs you read, they have sort of a, a pessimistic tone. Do you feel pessimistic about procurement's ability to narrow the gap moving forward? No, actually, I don't. I think, if anything, the procurement folks are, if they're not uh, optimistic, generally speaking, they're, they're much more, much more realists when it comes to what's happening in the marketplace. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's challenges out there, right? The market, uh, just the ability now for companies to grow, is being impeded by the lack of, you know, not just talent, but what companies are calling critical talent. Uh, I believe it was one of the leading consulting um, groups that did a study out there. And of the top three risks in 2019, 2020, the next two years, it was identifying um, and attracting critical talent, right? And by critical, they meant those uh, specific roles that are absolutely imperative for them to be able to meet their goals moving forward, right? So it's, okay, we're working on uh, working on some NPD We've got some NPD initiatives in which we need some folks that can work with certain kind of suppliers, right? Or we need talent that has got that technical background that can work with our IT team and work with a very uh, niche supply base in order to help um, help the company uh, at large, right? Or they need somebody that's got those, as I mentioned before, the risk management skills that can help uh, their, an organization as they're looking to expand into different geographical areas of the world. So these are the critical roles out there that uh, they need. And you know, they're not. We're not finding players giving a, throwing their hands up, saying, "Oh, this is impossible. We're never going to find anybody." In fact, they're much more, uh, I think, energized by the challenge that, okay, how do we find these people? Right? Where do we find them? And if we can't find them, what do we do organically to be able to train people, or even go further back in uh, the value chain? And attracting people that are, you know, whether they're interns, whether they're just coming out of school in a different function or a different background, to be able to bring them and train them. Um, so, yeah, it may um, sometimes it may feel like there's a doom and gloom when it comes to uh, uh, the uh, the talent gap, but I think by and large, companies realize that this is something they need to get done, and 
they're willing to uh, they're willing to move forward and make that investment. Well, thank you again, Nassim, for the conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to the Source One podcast. For more strategic sourcing and procurement insights every day, visit our blog, The Strategic Sorcerer. Want to provide feedback or suggest a topic for a future episode? Let us know at prrequest at sourceoneinc.com. Thanks for listening.